Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome to Training with Casey, and I'm your host, Casey Covert. Thank you, Joseph, for the introduction. And tonight, my guest is Mira Hills-Jones. And Mira, did I just say it wrong? Is it Mira Hill-Jones? Hill, yeah, that's my maiden name, Hill, yeah. Yeah, okay. Just Mira, just Mira. Yeah, I expanded your holdings in one step. (laughs) And Mira is working in nose and scent work. And we are going to talk tonight about her experiences with this dynamic, very popular sport with dogs, and also how she likes to start dogs and her experience with training dogs and bringing them along. And we have some challenges with the internet tonight, so I'm gonna go without picture, but I'm still here. And uh, that will hopefully help everybody. So Mira, just take it away and tell us Uh, what you would like us to know about how you start dogs. Hey, Casey, thanks for having me. Um, I guess I want to just talk a little bit about when you're starting a dog, a brand new dog into scent detection, nose work, and uh, there's various ways to start. Always, always say that there's many ways to enlightenment. So there's not just one way. Um, but there is, there are ways that I believe are more efficient for the dog. And that is giving the dog the picture right from the start of what it is you're going to be asking them to do. So for example, in scent work and nose work, we're going to ask the dog to go away from us, their handler, and you Usually dogs, usually we're wanting dogs to come to us and we have kind of a one-way communication to them as far as, you know, when you think about some of the other sports, we, we give them a cue to do something and they, they do it and then they do the next thing and the next thing. But they're, you know, generally being directed all the time by us. In scent work, it's quite the opposite in that while we do bring our dogs to the search area and we set up the parameters for that, we actually want the dog to leave us, go away from us, and find the target odor, the source of the target odor that we've trained them to find. So I feel like giving them that initial from the very beginning of having them move away and go towards the source of odor is just a really, really sound way of getting that neural pathway started where they understand, oh, that's the game. And of course, all this is set up like any good training is set up for the dog to be successful and for the trials. And when I say trials, I mean each each task is going to require several trials to get to what we call fluency. So starting it that way and looking at it um, from kind of that whole picture when you start is really important to me. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, Just as a question, when you say several trials to fluency, is that literally uh, 
how many you would normally do like three or uh, no not not literally and of course it depends and you you have to have your criteria and what you consider fluency but this is take the dog very quickly starting out they they the odor acquisition of what it is the they find rewarding what it is that is rewarded when they find is very very quick quicker than a lot of people might think so it may only be three trials mm-hmm. um and it, it may only be three trials especially if you've set it up perfectly now does that does that mean that oh three trials and now we're going to go out and we're going to you know find, find it in a 1000 square foot room right. no that doesn't mean that although i I have no doubt, no doubt that there are dogs that are completely and totally capable of that. Yeah. Um, there are either totally, totally. And, and so, yeah, so maybe it is three trials for moving say two feet to source of odor. Uh, and then you can start increasing that distance. So, um, yeah. So no, I mean, thank you for asking. Cause it could literally be three, but it could be more depending on the animal. Yeah. Well, and also, um, you, you just told us something that I, I'm going to ask you to clarify. You sure. said then you might increase the distance. So you don't hold to a protocol where you do eight trials at every juncture, eight trials for every step? No, not at all. Um, I'm going to let the dog tell me and I'm going to be changing up criteria depending on what the dog tells me. And then I'm going to go back to a very, very easy, uh, the thing that we first started with, right? Whatever it is in that training session. So the reason for changing a lot of the variables early on is important because in scent work, you want what we call odor obedience, obedience to odor, not to anything, but so to get there, it's important that the dog understand that everything else is at least when playing this game, everything else is a, a, a non winner, you know, but source of the target odor Ding, ding, ding. You've won. So you know, does but odor every- obedience just mean that odor um, a related work is the priority at this moment? Exactly. When they are cued, and that's, that's a whole other thing about do they understand the cue uh, or are they just going by context and the fact that odor is present? So that that's, again, some, some more things we can discuss. But yes, odor obedience is that we're, when they are sent out on this task, that that is a task. No, don't go and grab that open uh, bag that has a sandwich in it. No, that's not it. You want them to do, you know, to basically ignore everything but that particular odor. Right. So, okay. So yeah. they would, you would want them to uh, learn like before they were ever exposed to other odors, you would want them to be more advanced in their training. I would, I, I think I'm uh, understanding. You, yeah, yes and no. So 
figure that from the moment they're born, they're picking up odor, right? Odor and yeah. scent. Um, and there is a there is a difference. I think I have this right when I say scent is uh, human scent and odor or just other odors. But we tend to use it interchangeably um, in the sport. But so the scent and odors all around them all the time. Yeah. So we don't really, we can expose them to other odors, but we don't reinforce and reward them for the other odors. So, uh, and actually the sports have anywhere from three to five different odors. So they, they get that odor acquisition really easily. It's like, that's the one that pays me. That's the one I'm working for. And you, you can put in other odors, I would, I would probably wait a little bit, but not too long. And I think that's one thing that's really come to me, um, especially with my latest puppy, is that you don't need to wait to add these layers. When they understand the game, add the layers right away without, you know, that's part of the art of it, right away without the pressure, but the variables are there. And that way you don't get them stuck in a rut where when you do throw something at them, they go, well, that's weird, you know? Yeah. So, um, and I'll give a little example now in that apparently in I have a very experienced dog who's five and apparently in all the training and all the trialing I've done with him, uh, he has never been presented with a lineup and that would be for example a lineup of containers let's just say we got 10 containers they're lined up and the dog has to go down the line and tell you which ones have target odor okay. well apparently apparently in his in his life i've never presented nor had it been presented at a try at one of the uh, competitions that there might be two containers in a row that have odor in them he was always used to, okay that's one well then i know the next one isn't hot as we say doesn't have and that that has just boggled his mind so i'm going back now to train to retrain if you will that if there could be two in a row there could be could be three in a row well with my youngster who's not quite one actually going to be one this month i'm like she's on she has odor acquisition for three odors we're just we're just putting three in a row in maybe a fourth one uh, with yeah. that same odor, so it's so it's not weird. Yeah, that makes perfectly good sense. Those are the kinds of things I've kind of picked up along the way. To uh, yeah, so I, I think in the beginning when I was learning and the sport was new, uh, there was a lot of "Don't rush them, don't rush them, don't push them, don't." Push. And I get that for some dogs, but sometimes you have to know that dog. What is that dog capable of? And they don't consider it, you know, if, if they're not stressed and the whole time you're asking, you're playing the game with them, they are searching. There's no reason not to add these layers in sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think I would agree with you. Mira, you can go mm -hmm. ahead and try cutting your picture. Okay. Because I think we got the gist of everything, but um, you were telling us that you started your new dog on multiple examples of the scent. Uh, you know, like one up to three, maybe even four in a row. 
so right. that she learned early on that that was within the realm of possibilities. Exactly. And uh, there's there's uh, some other things, too, that that for I'm seeing that is maybe a little bit of a weak, weak link in the training of my older dog um, that I'm going, well, um, I'm going to introduce that earlier. And so far, it's been working beautifully. Well, good. Good, because um, it's so important to keep honing things. Uh, right. We find breakthroughs. Sometimes they find breakthroughs. And if we don't pay attention to them, it can be very frustrating. Right. And the first sign of frustration, I again, I think in any sport or any, um, but particularly this one, that it's just you don't want that ever you you want to always make it so much fun that they're screaming for more i mean literally screaming for more like do do more i'd rather end that way yeah than then have it be where oh i was so you know i was you know that you could see the dog <laughs> the bubble the bubble above the dog's head is oh I'm so, frustrated. <laughs> so you never want to go there um, yeah. but but i'm really convinced that taking taking um small steps is the way but don't be afraid because even if you take a little a step that's a little too big for that dog that moment you can easily if you if you observe it and that's where you you must be in tune with your your animal observe it and then uh take a step back and then try another day uh, you yeah. know, the next day, see if you can, but you never, ever want to end on a, on a note. And so, and yeah, like I said, I think, I think initially in the sport, there was just too much, um, out there and that, oh, we've got to be ever so slow, but the dogs, oh, like the dogs, people didn't think the dogs could do it. And so they just kind of sat in one place. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, had, they and there are dogs that fall into the category of being way too anxious to learn and way too um low drive to to really get odor right away but i still think the vast majority of dogs can get odor acquisition right away without having to um hunt for primary reward which would be food or in some cases a toy and while that is fun I just, I don't think it serves the purpose of, you know, what we do in the sport to, to stay on that step too long. Okay. If, you know, so. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Okay. Um, so to summarize this, you're going to start them and you want them to have a, a go-to response of uh, casting out from you and, immediately looking for odor source but you're also once you get to that point you're going to be careful to incorporate variation early on so that you don't create a false perception for the animal that this is a very rote repetitive unchanging situation exactly 
and exactly that in fact everything is changing all the time with one exception and that is go out from me go away from me and find the source um just as a little bit of an aside, I got chills this morning, actually, and kind of a sad chills. They were talking about the um, cadaver dogs that they brought in in Hawaii with the oh. fire. And uh, God bless them. They they were bringing in more dog teams and they, they actually showed a dog. Um, and they have to take a lot of breaks because their feet are burning from, uh, you have to wear little booties and all, but. And they, they came, showed a dog came upon a place and the dog um, just sat. And that meant that the dog did scent um, a cadaver. So there, there, there were bodies there. Anyway, it just gave me chills. It made me sad. And I'm like, thank God for the dogs, you know, because they're able to, to tell us oh, that. Yeah. And so I think it softens it. I think it braces it for us versus someone going in there and then finding remains. Um, just my thoughts anyway. So yeah, I, I wonder also about the trauma to the dogs. Like, yes. Yeah. During I, the I, training, I think it might be good to, uh, my exposure to SAR is that they do not want to complicate with covering live human scent. Right. But if you're looking for people in rubble now in that fire case, they're not expecting to find anybody alive, I would imagine. But in an earthquake or something like that, there might be people alive. And I think it would be great to to train with some live finds also so that the dog has the hope that they'll be able to find somebody that can be helped. That That's an interesting concept. I know very little to nothing about how um, search and rescue or search and recovery is trained other than little snippets that I've seen. I know there are people out there that are absolute experts in it and i don't um uh, i'm not sure if the cadaver dogs also do live finds and vice versa i'm just i'm not sure but they have to don't they they'd have to well um the, i don't know the ones that i've interacted with the trainers and the programs that i've interacted with no they don't they're just looking for dead scent right so then you've got, you know, like the dogs that go out helping to look for people in avalanches and so on. And they must have a slightly different approach. So it'd be very interesting to see all these pro approaches and how they are, you know, changed according to the application. But my view of it is I always want that dog to alert on live scent also if we're looking for cadavers and they smell somebody live i want to know about it yeah uh, and yeah. i don't care what it is i don't care if it's one of my co-workers or um a hiker in the woods or whatever if there's somebody else there i want to know yeah anyway, that's just me 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, maybe you could have a search and rescue trainer on at some point. I, I'd love to learn more myself. Yeah, we'll have to look up one of those rascals. <laughs> okay, now, what yeah. does it sound like when you're starting this? Like, how exactly, or if you want to cover this, or if you don't want to go into sure. this much detail, that's okay, too. But sure. when you're going to ask the dog to go out, how do you get that go out? So it's really best if you can have two people. Uh, so that someone is holding the dog, you, you've got, uh, there's several tools you can use. You can use what we call a scent wall. You can use what we call pipes or tubes where um, the, it, a picture would be worth a thousand words here, but <laughs> basically, basically it's the dog sticks her head in, in, the, in the pipe and there's odor down there. And they're right on it. They're right on source. Or there's a scent wall in which there is a, a visual, if you will, a tin or something. So you're going to start them out visually. There's going to be something visual that a dog is going to investigate, if you will. And here's where part of the art comes. You've got this set up. So let, and, me, let me ask you, yeah. when you say visual, you mean like, Oh, check this. This will be a possible scent source. Exactly. So let's just say you have a blank wall and you have a, a tin, what we, we put the um, odor in. The odor is in, that would be called the scent vessel. And then there's a scent aid, which is usually on a cotton ball or Q-tips where the scent is applied. And so you can see the tin. Okay. So if the tin, yes. So the dog can see it. And if you have two people, you might, uh, someone might get the dog kind of excited. Someone's holding the dog, the other person's, you know, showing the dog move. They have a reinforcer and they're going to maybe tap nearby the tin. And you're, this is where part of the art comes. How, you know, how eager is that dog initially? Because you, you do want to amp them up just enough. So they have that excitement and that expectation and, and that they will leave the handler and go there. So there are various ways you can set it up. You can you can use boxes to set it up. Um, I think getting them excited in the beginning is also a way of kind of conditioning mm -hmm. that the that the game is fun versus. So, but but when you start this, do you actually start the scent with these things, yes. or do you teach the scent yes. ahead of time and then take it to this? No, this is how I start the scent. Okay. This is how I start the scent. But I may only be starting it. I may only be a foot away. Okay. I may only be, the, 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 the maybe holding the dog back just a little bit and a foot away. So the dog actually can smell it. But the dog is going to go to it. And that's where I would, I mark it. Now, before all this happens, I have a communication system with my dog already. Okay. So uh, that is something that is super important that I think gets left out a lot um, because there are plenty of training methods out there where you just let the dog kind of discover this. They, they discover it. There's uh, food in a box and, there, and then there's odor in the box and the dog just figures it out. And, and that's what we would call a, a simultaneous pairing, right? In um, uh -huh in uh, classical conditioning. 
I'm for the delayed conditioning on this because I want the dog to uh, sniff the odor, take it in. Uh, and I want that to be a deliberate sniff, not this, oh, I smell it, but they actually are seeking it and sniffing it. They get marked, yes, and then they get reinforced. So that that becomes a very pleasant uh, delayed conditioning of that target odor. Okay, so I never encountered the term delayed conditioning. Okay. Is the nuance here that in one, the dog just finds it and may be unconscious of it, but responds to it and gets a reward, a a reinforcer. And in the other case, the dog gets feedback. And then a reinforcer. Is that the big right. difference? I think the big difference is in in if we're looking at where this dog, we're classically conditioning the dog by using um, the odor is the unconditioned stimulus, right? Uh huh. And the food would be the conditioned. Uh, I'm sorry, would be the primary. Yeah. Right. Okay, so and an and an unconditioned stimulus. Wait a minute, I got that backwards. The o- target odor will be the conditioned stimulus, and the food is the unconditioned stimulus. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to condition the target odor. If you take the target odor and the food at the same time, that simultaneous and it's classical conditioning because the associative learning, right? It's paired, it's paired. In that, it's great, it works. It works every time. The dog will figure it out, no problem. However- But there's there's no- Feedback, um, no. Bridge or feedback or marker in that, okay. No, no, that's that's the common way of starting the odor it works. It's great. I prefer because I have a communication system with my dog. I prefer the more uh, efficient, and this is this is science. The more efficient way to condition something, con- condition the target odor is odor, then reinforcer, odor, food odor then food odor always first why because the odor the source of the odor will predict the reinforcer so you're delaying the conditioning versus the simultaneous conditioning okay that makes sense yep so what happens in the real search well they don't search for food they're searching for odor and food or toy will be the reward when they get to source. So I that's this is why I want them to initially go to odor. I mark it because now I'm throwing in a little operant, if you will. They go in there. I mark it. Yes, that is correct. And then because I have my system set up, yes means a reinforcer is expected and is coming. And then what I learned and took from your work is beginning, I said, why don't I use it in the intermediate bridge on this? So 
I started going. They go to the source of odor and I would say, good, yes. And they go and say, because good, they know already means, oh, I'm on the path. It, it definitely is a reinforcer on its own, uh, but it's a bridge to the terminal bridge of yes. And that's just how I communicate with my dogs. Got it. And, you know, so, um, and I hope this isn't getting too technical for everyone, but it is a way in, again, I'm, dogs are so impressionable the first time. And you know, this with animals, it's like, if you make a training mistake right off the bat with an animal, don't you just want to bang your head against the wall? Because. <laughs> yeah. <something> I, <laughs> I try to uh, plan what I do ahead of time. So I don't do that. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's the think, plan, do thing. Exactly. But, you know, first impressions, you know, count. So, you know, I want the first impression to be, and again, we have our communication system. So I want the first impression to be, you sniff that odor. Good, good, good. Yes. And the good, good, good gives them some duration there at source. If you're using, whether you're using a tin that has the odor, whether you're using a pipe that's got odor in there, it just gives duration and it gives that from the get-go. Why? Because I've used the intermediate bridge in other stuff with my dog. And when I've tried to teach, when I've teach them other things, duration for other things. So they, they yeah. get right away. Oh, I leave you. I go to the source. I stay there until you know, I'm, I'm bridged there. And, and then eventually you don't need to, you know, you fade it out. And uh, do you see other things that the intermediate bridge brings to their work? Do you see um, ways that it changes the training or? Uh, do you not? mean in scent, in, in scent work? Yeah. Or, or yeah, specifically in scent work. But so you mentioned it gives you duration. Right. Do you start the intermediate bridge immediately after cueing the dog to start the task? No, I don't. I do not start the intermediate bridge until they have gotten and got their nose on source. So this is a little point of contention in the training world as, as far as using a marker or not using a marker. And... I'm of the opinion, and I think the dogs are too, my dogs anyway, they like knowing when they're right. They enjoy it. And it doesn't take away the enjoyment of the task to know that they're right. However, um, they do need, you You do need when you're training, you're not doing what we call blind hides. You, you're doing many, 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 many um, searches in which you, the handler, know where it is so that when the dog is as close to source as they can get, you know what to mark and, and, and when to start your bridge. But you you don't need the bridge. If you, if you think of it like this hunt, they're hunting and all their huntingness steps into this uh, scent work stuff, all their hunting skills, you don't really need to bridge them to hunt. They that's just something that's within them. It's just we're we've taught them to hunt for something that's wholly unimportant in, in the case of the sport. Um, and so, no, you wouldn't. I guess 
that's a long way of saying no, you would not be bridging them while they're searching. Um, Got it. You, if you had, I can see, I can, can see a situation. I've not had it. I can see a situation where I might use it. I've not had that. And maybe knock on wood, maybe that's because of my methods or maybe it's because of my dogs, but I can see if let's just say um, we were searching and for whatever reason, my dog became afraid or distracted or off task or for for whatever reason, I might, I might take a breath, uh, engage with my dog, give them the cue. And when they start searching, I might say, good, 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 good. And and that, that would be helpful. And I haven't had that, but I would do that. So um, may I comment here? Please, please. So you learned from Debbie Winkler and Debbie Winkler started out in the early 2000s. And when I wrote the manual, I said, uh, when you're teaching the bridge, you issue the intermediate bridge and the, or you wait, you issue the cue. And then the instant the animal looks in the direction as if to start that cue, you start the intermediate bridge. However, ah. we had, it, this is, this is still not what we do now. We had a certified trainer who was brilliant and blind. She was working with her guide dog and she could not see the dog's response. So we're all there together at a certification seminar and she's asking us, what is my dog doing? Should I start the bridge? And we saw exactly the situation that you described. When you Mm. introduce a novel requirement there will often be latency from the dog Uh because of uncertainty. Or if you tell the dog, we're going to cross the street here. And let's say it's a step down on a curb instead of a path where the wheelchair can just go or whatever. There could be some variation that throws the dog off. Uh And in that particular case with this brilliant trainer, we could see the dog was just confused. She's like, do you really mean this? Do you want me to do this thing? And we yelled out, just start the bridge. And (laughs) she did. And the dog just went, ha, and just went right to work. So we see an incredible decrease in latency. I, I totally, totally get that and i actually just like two days ago my little pup she's a border terrier she does not want want to wear clothes she thinks that she (laughs) should go out without clothes and without a leash and whatever so i try to be very unobtrusive when i do put her harness or collar on and uh but her collar was on i had the leash we were going to go for a walk and she did not want to come to me to put the leash on and I don't chase my dogs. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't chase them. They, they, yeah. So, um, she kind of turned her head away and I just waited, I asked her to come again 
and she turned her head to me and I started bridging. Good, 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 good. And she started coming and came to the heel position just like that. Yeah. Yeah. To get her leash, to get her leash on, to get something she really didn't like. But that, that bridge was such a, a, as you say, a tertiary reinforcer. It was, it surprised me, Casey. I hadn't used it that way before. Well, see, there you go. That's convergent evolution. We figured it out. Uh, very soon after Debbie got certified. Oh, <laughs> but we have figured out, and there's an article on my website that has it's something like the uses of the intermediate bridge. And we have discovered 13 specific uses. For example, self correction. Mm-hmm. So when we bridge, it's approximately eight bridges per second. So if the animal is in a stream of behavior, he's getting feedback every eighth of a second that that's correct, that's correct, that's correct. If that bridge stops, he's within an eighth of a second of the last time that he was correct. Uh And we see the animals just back right up into correct and then it starts the intermediate bridge stream again. And they're like, yes, nailed it. Yeah, and I think there was, an, there was an example of that in that little clip that I showed you of her duration at source, if, yeah. I'm, if I'm not mistaken, where she comes away from it. I stop bridging. She goes right back to it. And I start bridging again. Exactly. Yeah. And that is... You know, that is something that we bank on. We use that specifically for that thing um, to prevent that problem. And it will also, the intermediate bridge is not a tool to make the dog go faster or slower or longer or a different direction, but it will do any of those things. And you talk about the art of training, our timing and our use of targets and uh, vocabulary in conjunction with the bridges can really accelerate the animal mastering what's critical there. Like, for example, um, you let's say the dog is supposed to find scent A. Now, I'm not talking, I don't know how this would apply to your particular situation. But the dog's supposed to find scent A and you know they're going by scent B. And it's a scent they've also been trained with, but it's not the one we're looking for right now. So as the dog, if the dog is tends to be distractible with other scents, as we go by that scent, we can use the intermediate bridge to anchor the dog to the correct behavior and to quell the uncertainty that he feels or that he seems to experience when he's all of a sudden encountering not one, but two trained stimuli. And, you know, just like you were talking about, well, I think it's this one, but she's not really telling me. And, you know, maybe she's just like Uh not paying attention, blah, 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 blah. So we Uh can use the intermediate bridge 
to break through all that stuff. So um, I think it's so interesting since you took it on from an early um, iteration and you've applied it that you're finding the same benefits, the same additional benefits. And I just want to encourage you to keep exploring it because there's a lot of them. That is fascinating. I mean, really, I didn't, I thought, yeah, I didn't know that it, it the, I didn't know the evolution of it since I, you know, uh, kind of semi-retired and uh, just using it for my own dogs and really not doing clients anymore. But wow, that's cool. Yeah, but it's also really cool that you have simultaneously and independently discovered some on your own. That always makes me feel yeah. good because yeah. um, when we have a group of trainers that are perceiving the same thing, that are evolving in the same direction, that's not a cult. No. That is a convergence. I love that. I love that word. Um. I do think a part of it is really, really knowing your animal because some of the subtleties are, um, well, you know what I'm talking about. There, there are, there are little flicks of the ear. There are little tiny, you know, tiny tiny tail you know there's there's a lot of little things about that go on i think are you are you talking about embodied communication gestures and yeah that communicate something yeah like? i'm i'm just talking about when you actually are in communion if you will with with an animal the the bridge is it's just a clarity for them yeah it's a clarity and um it's not like oh uh, I need you to do this exact thing, this exact way. And you just drill it, drill it, drill it. It's just, it's just an easy way to communicate that, you know, your animal has understood even, and you have an underlying respect for each other as well. I know I, I, I I'm not making myself that clear, but. No, I think you're making yourself yeah. very clear. Oh, but good. Okay. Here, here's another question. Um, you start them out and you get them to cast out. Right. And then you give them feedback with the intermediate bridge. Do you also name the things that you are encountering? Do you name the sense? Do you name the uh, training visuals like the cans and the pipes and, you know, the names of the different scents, the um, features of the venue? Do you name all those things? I, I do not. And maybe it would be beneficial. I go back to the odor obedience. I don't want to bring attention to a lot of things. I, I don't want to bring attention to those other things. Um, it certainly would be a fun little endeavor to, to, to teach them that. But as far as the actual search, too much talking from the handler really keeps the dog can can keep the dog off task when they're doing so if you think of the search of being a a math puzzle or a puzzle 
or a math problem. Yeah. If you're trying to solve a problem and you're trying to do or trying to do math, you really don't want somebody blah, blah, blah in your ear. Yeah. Right. Um, as a separate endeavor, I think it'd be interesting. I certainly, for things that I think are of a concern to my dogs, I certainly do name them. Um, I don't just don't, don't really feel like I need it for the sport or that it would be that useful. Got it. Uh, so you wouldn't start out a, a thing by saying, okay, today we're going to search for birch. This is birch. I don't, I don't think so. Um, because truly there are, there, when there is a, uh, odor in a room, whether it's birch or any other one, it's, or outside, it's there, it's diffuse, it's everywhere, it's in plumes, it's, de it's dependent on the wind and the temperature and the barometric pressure and all kinds of environmental factors are, are affecting, um, that odor movement and uh, how volatile the the um, the odor is depends on you know what it is. So they're they're already smelling birch, and what you're really asking them to do is find where is that coming from, where yeah. in this this place is it coming from. So I don't I I don't know that just you know naming that scent in particular would be that helpful. Well, how do you tell them which scent they're looking for? You don't need to. You you don't need to. You've conditioned them. Um, you've conditioned. Let's just take a drug dog for example. They're conditioned that if they find uh, cocaine, that they are too alert, and they they're done. They're conditioned. Classically conditioned. There's a biologically. You know, go back to Pavlov. You're you're biologically, you know, kind of co-opting that system by putting in, you know, we, instead of hunting for a bunny or, or your dinner, we're going to have you hunt for this dumb thing here, whether it's cocaine or an essential oil. It's just, you know, it's important to us, the human. And so would you please hunt that instead? And if you hunt that instead, you will be, you will get something yummy or or your toy or something that you want there'll be something in it for you we'll we'll pay you for that and the dog thinks this is an awesome game so where was where was i coming from that um <laughs> uh when, so so no i don't think um i don't think you really need to name that or did, was there something else i'm sorry casey no 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 We're basically off. when um Oh, I've talked to military detection dog trainers and they do not want the animal to have to make a conscious choice of anything. Uh -huh. uh, they, they just classically condition them for, I, I don't know how many things, but apparently not many. And, right. and they just watch them. And then when the dog right. responds, so it's not a conscious search on the dog's part necessarily. The dog may or may not understand that. He may or may not consciously understand what he's going to look for. But he's classically conditioned to respond to certain scents. Absolutely. That is, that is a part of it. That is the you know, reductionist behaviorist part of it, if you will. Um, 
and there's there's really no getting around that because there's nothing there's nothing natural about a dog looking for whether it's cocaine or anything like that right so you really have to have that in there um, what's natural to the dog is to hunt and to find for example let's just say they're hunting a uh well, I don't know, a bunny. We always, we always use bunny, but then I think about my sweet bunnies in the yard. But <laughs> anyway, um, they they know where the bunny has been, right? They know where the bunny has been and they can track that bunny trail. And they know if the, if the wind is going one direction that they need to go and they, the scent is on that wind, they need to go that way. And they know the difference between where the bunny was and, and the source, the actual bunny. So we had and that's because that would be a primary reward right so we have to classically condition them to somehow think whether consciously well unconsciously that that is that is their avenue to what they really want which is a piece of cheese or a ball something like that so yes i but know but on the way, there is that conscious, the, the conscious communication. There is that. Um, so it's not, it's not all just that, at least not in my world. Yeah. Um, they, I think that they, military and law enforcement tend to, tend to think of the dog as a tool, Um many times a handler didn't actually train the dog. The dog was trained elsewhere and then given to the handler. And the, so the handler has to read that certain alert and may or may not have a, a bonded relationship with the dog. Hopefully they do. Hopefully most of them do, but. Um, so basically um, we have a dog that's, generally in that sport you're going to have dogs that are classically conditioned and right. you're adding an operant tool which is uh it, it could have been the hopper you know uh, in the food delivery system in a classically conditioned system but you're specifically adding a sound that means food is coming and that is the bridge and then right. you, you personally add the intermediate bridge, which is a tool that says that you're on the right path. And if you continue on this path, you will find success. Right. So now, what difference do you see just from adding that one little tool? Do you see any difference or do you just feel good about sharing information with your dog just as a matter of you know respect and uh you know that kind of thing what are the results well i i do see a difference um because the communication is really clear in previously uh and again there are there are training methods with, that don't use any kind of a feedback at all um, yeah. and the dog uh, the dog just kind of figures it out but in 
previously, I would say if you wanted your dog to find the odor, that wasn't a problem. But staying there at the odor could be a problem. And that seemed to be an issue for some because they, they could find it, but then they don't stay there and they go away. And so for uh, some dogs, okay. it's like, you know, you don't, okay, I found it and then run away because there are dogs that maybe aren't that motivated by the food, right? Or even the toy. There's some dogs that are just totally motivated by the hunt. So well, they're maybe just, they they're, never figured out that you also wanted them to stay there. That, that, that is correct. And because I like to step back and give the dog room to search and not be like, you know, crawling up their necks. Um, yeah. I, I like to stand back. So what's going to happen is I want them to stay there for a moment. Give me a moment to get there or get halfway there. And um, I want them to communicate back. So, but, so in the past, the dogs were kind of guessing at that. And, and it was the old thing of, well, a couple of, couple of things, and this is really, really interesting to me um, because it's, just, it's a trial and error thing, but people would just, the dogs that at, let's say they're at the box that has the odor in it and the handler's not there soon enough and the dogs start, you know, destroying the box and so mm, on, mm. or, or the dog leaves, right? Um, so it really was a trial and error for the dog to, to you don't want to damp down their spirit uh, when they're destroying the box. Right. That's a dilemma because if you're saying no, 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 don't do that. Yeah. But it's yes, yes, yes. It's the box. I mean, how confusing is that? Right. Yeah. And, and do you teach them ahead of time what to do with the box? Do they have uh, a box protocol before they start doing this? I, I do. I do boxes last. Because uh, my my thing is get them finding the odor and staying at odor so they never even have the experience that it's fun to destroy a box. Yeah. By the time they get to a box, um, I make the, the odor very available in a box. So they go up and they sniff it. Oh, well, I stay at this box. And they don't, they don't touch it. They don't paw it. They don't sit on it. They don't rub their butt on it. You know, all kinds of good things happen because... It wasn't the first element that that I introduced, and they already know what to do at odor. Yeah. So just just back to what what is also interesting is, you know, you're trying to keep them at again whatever whether it's whether they're pawing because there's a hide under a chair or whatever. You you can't say no. You shouldn't say no. Don't, how do you how do you fix that? In other words, it's, it's, it's very difficult, if not impossible, once that behavior is so ingrained because the dog has decided themselves what they're going to do there. Very difficult because you, you can't correct them. They're at the right box. So that that's what I see is poor communication. I avoid all that with my yeah. communication. The other method that is, is out there that is touted quite widely, actually, is to keep feeding at the box to make them stay at the box or at the hide. Keep feeding at the hide. So the dog found it. Again, there's no feedback for finding it. The dog just finds it. You come over with a cookie. You give them the little treat, another treat, another treat. You, you can give them 12, 15, 20 treats. And that is supposed, supposed to make them stay there. I have... I can't say that I've designed a study to 
to do that. But in my mind, the dogs are brilliant, right? They know that they're only getting this treat because you're standing right there with them, close to their face, handing it to them, your hands out, right? They're not dumb. They know that if you leave, there's no more food coming, right? Mm -hmm. I want to... I want to work at a distance from my dog. So my dog has the room and the freedom to go where the wind takes his nose, you know, um, and, and find that bunny. So I like communication of, okay, he's way over there. Yes. Good, 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 good. Or, or good, 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 good. Yes. And they know they found it. Stay there as I come there. And they will get their reinforcer there. Um, I just don't think that feeding them over and over at that one location, I just don't think it does what people think it does. No, I suspect you're right. Just just based on, again, neural pathway, the motor system, how our motor system works. Um, it just, it just, yeah. Well, it's it my problem with luring. When, mm-hmm. when I- animal is after food it's a different process Uh and they're not necessarily trying to analyze information so you like to condition the scent so the animal knows what scent you're looking for and when he finds it he knows he'll get food right and um i would rather teach an animal to wait once they find it and to for them to understand that at um at the point you know at some point that we decide together they will get food or other reinforcers you know and so on and so forth like i like the animal to consciously understand what the job is and what we're doing i don't want them to wonder well does she not know that I did this? What's taking her so long to get there? Did she break her right. leg? Do I need to go look for her? Right. You know, this right. was part of the uh, protocol already. Right. And I like, you know, and this is this is just another whole aspect of, of what I like to do. And that is to have more than one reinforcer. So, for example, um, uh, my more experienced dog, my accomplished dog, I he may, may not get the food. He, he, I may throw the ball, but he knows yeah. he was right. He's going to get something, and um, he's going to get something. But he also understands. Well, I, I have a job to do, and we're it's a, it's a game, but it's also my my game job, if you will. And so, yeah, yeah so. I like, I think it's good to have varied reinforcers and um, re- reinforcers. More reinforcing for your experienced dog? Yes, uh, I do. I find it, I mean, he has his expectations, um, but I see the expression on his face when I surprise him. Yeah. And it's priceless. Yeah. <laughs> it's priceless. Cool. Yeah. Um, because sometimes I will have hidden his ball somewhere out of the out of the search area, and when he gets it right, but I and I know that's the last 
uh, of the target odors we're going to search for today. I'll just say, find your ball. So he, that's very reinforcing for him. He gets to go yeah. search, but he's looking for his ball. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. 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 So it's really fun. And this hot weather has put a damper on my outside sun. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I understand that. So how, do you see a difference between the performance of your dogs so you see a difference in the performance of your dogs with and without the bridges and in particular, I do. I, the I, I, what about? Yeah, I, I see a huge difference um, in, in my personal dogs. Um, Versus my, other dogs doing the same well, sport? From what, I, from what I did initially and in from other, well, I, because I judge the sport, Mm -hmm. I do, I do see a, a big difference. Um, there are some teams and I, I do say team because it's the handler and the dog that are absolutely right, wonderful. Right. And there, there's some teams that are absolutely wonderful and have the best time, you know, qualify or not qualify. It's wonderful. I also see things that just because the, just because of who I am, and I don't even think of myself that much as a trainer. It's just, I, I don't even like that word in particular, but mm. I go, God, just a little tweaking, just a little tweaking in communication in the training situation, a for lack of a better word. A little more support for the dog, a little less uncertainty. Yeah, that, that, would, that would go a long, long way. Um, just a little bit of this, the get them. Yeah, and and some sometimes there are dogs that are too anxious to do it, and for that I say don't you don't have to go to a competition, you don't even have to use no just just play hide and seek in your backyard or you know yeah. do do things where the dog is at least doing something with their nose. So, but but there are a lot of people that compete and love competing, and it's 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 just. Um, you know, an enjoyable way to spend a weekend. And I, I really believe just a little bit more understanding of, of the communication system, which in which I include, you know, your intermediate bridge is a big part of it for me. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, yeah. So yeah. as a judge, you can't give these people pointers. No, no, it, it's frowned upon. Although sometimes I cannot keep my mouth shut. And if someone asks me, I will help them out, you know, at lunchtime or after lunchtime. Like or, if they see the difference between your dogs and theirs. Yeah. Or if, if I, yes, it, it, it could be. And people are, 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 aren't very forthcoming with going, wow, how did you do that? Yeah. They, yeah, yeah. I know. You know they're, they're really not. Um, and I think part of that is because there's a very popular method that is, um, they they dislike the use of a marker in any way, shape, or form, um, and I think it's too bad because I, I know it's it really is stating the art to use a marker. Um, that's what they do, and you know, for these dogs that really need need to find people dead or alive, or find bombs and find drugs. I mean, they yeah. If it if it's actual do or die. If it's yeah. Life or death. Yeah. Then we're saying they use markers. Yeah, and and I 
I don't understand uh, also sometimes it's frowned upon to actually have a a response that's intentional, like like what I am teaching my dog to intentionally stay at sorts with your nose pointed to it or as close as you can get to it. Um, and I guess it's just, it, it can be a matter of opinion. Some people kind of in a derogatory way say, well, that's just for the handler. Well, I say, so what? You know, the dog's job, can't the dog have a little job here <laughs> of communicating back? Because the whole thing is, oh, can you read your dog? Can you read your dog as your dog is hunting and, and closing down on source? Yes, well, of course. And one of, of the problems you need to there is, how do you know if you read it correctly? Occur- exactly. I I don't see that it takes one bit of fun out of it for the dog for me to have intentionally marked what I like. It, 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 to me, that's, you know, th- these dogs, they're domesticated. They look to us for their cues, right? They're, they're primed for this. It's, it's their niche, if you will, in, in the ecology is to not live with a bunch of other dogs. Their niche is to live with humans. That's what we know about, you know, well, dogs. So anyway, rest, rest assured anyway, because I don't <laughs> care how wild they are. When you become partners with them, your partners, you're working together, yes. you're getting this done. It's yes. not about making little guessing games for the animal to make sure that he's an animal and he actually smelled this thing. If, yes. if we're actually trying to get a job done, like um, I had a situation at the National Zoo and I was going home and on my way out, I would always say goodnight to the animals. And as I passed the gray seal, Selkie, looked at me like with such relief and leaped out of the water. <laughs> and of course I stopped and she just leapt again and again and again. And I said, I'll be right in. And I ran to the gate as fast as I could. I could see from my ability to read my animal that something mm. was wrong and she needed me to come look. So by the time I got past the second barrier, Selkie was on the beach grabbing my pant leg. Wow. And pulling on me. And she wasn't trying to bite or anything like that. She's saying, hurry up. So I start running over this rock work (laughs) at great risk because I had let all these leaves pile up for enrichment. Selkie Uh leaps into the water and she is porpoising as fast as she can get. And she gets there before me and she jettisons out of the water and starts clearing leaves by arcing her neck from left to right. And she reveals a premature gray seal pup. It was over a month premature. Wow. And then... She shoots me a look like, what are you going to do? The first (laughs) thing I said was, thank you. And I pick the baby up in my arms and I start going as fast as I can because this pup is so premature. It's a matter of life and death. And I say to Selkie, who's the mother? Because there is no female on the beach with this baby. And Selkie was an accomplished mother and it wasn't her baby. 
and there was no female looking in any way concerned about this baby. As wow. We're, as we're exiting the exhibit, there's a female that had been born in captivity under very stressful conditions, and she has her claws hanging on to the outflow grate and her nose pressed against the grate. And I oh. called her name. Her name was Lila. And she would not look at me. She would not acknowledge me. She didn't show any concern for this baby that I was taking out of the exhibit. Oh. And Selkie shoots me another look. And she flashes over to Lila and she tries to push her away from the grate. And she cannot. And she tries to grab one flipper and pull her. She tries to turn her by hitting her shoulder. She tried six different things and then flashes me a look again and then uh, floats upright in the water, a behavior we call telescoping. Uh -huh. they, they float upright and then they kind of telescope their neck into their shoulders. And that's what they do when they go to sleep. And she closes her eyes. It's like transmission out. <gasps> wow. And I said, got it, Selkie. And um, I said, thank you again. And she came right back to life when I said, got it. And <laughs> I had to run that baby up to the vet hospital. And they were not able to save it because it was so premature. It already had fatal lung damage. <laughs> Aww. But without Selkie's intervention, I would not have even discovered that baby until it was a stinking corpse. Wow. So here is this intelligent, responsible, not just a mother, but the matriarch of this group. And she sees that the baby's mother is not taking care of it. And we're a team. Yeah. So she tags me. It's like, you do what you can. Yeah. How and cool is that? That is amazing. It is really amazing. And, you know, I submitted that story to an animal training uh, journal. And the editor called me up and said, how dare you bring a dolphin hugger story to this professional <laughs> journal? Now, first of all, I have pretty good scientific credentials in addition to animal training credentials. And yeah, you know, it's like, well, wow. if you're going to take me on, you better be ready. But here's the thing. What it really told me is she'd never had such an experience. Uh-huh. So an experience that I saw and many of my colleagues have had very similar kinds of things i mean we're working together we we communicate what it is we're trying to solve what the goal is and a lot of times in real life we don't really care what the games are uh -uh. you know like in other words there's rules and games you have to do it this way or else and in real life it's like you may not be able to do it that way so let's just get it done uh -huh. And whatever you have to do, you come and I will try to understand. I will try to figure it out. So with a two-way communication, we will often ask the animal, is it this or other? Uh -huh. So 
so now you're in this situation. Oh, wow. We're almost out of time. I'm so sorry. Oh, but we'll do it again. All right. So I, I think to sum it up for me, as far as what I see using uh, a lot of great feedback, including the intermediate bridge and terminal bridge in scent work, I just, I see my dogs really understanding from the beginning rather than having to do a lot of guessing as yeah. far as what it, what it is we're doing here. They just know it off off the bat because first of all, we've established a communication system before we even uh, I even introduce a game. And then I, when I do introduce it, it's very clear what the goal is and uh, throw in some ex excitement that we're going to do this. And I think that I think that goes a long way. And I do wish there were more, um, feedback in some of the popular methods. And mm -hmm. I re really wish there were more, just a little more thought as uh, things from the dog's perspective, if you will. Yeah. On, on the, I think they like, they like having uh, the information. And I think it shows. I, I suspect, I really suspect you're correct. And I, what I've noticed is that we're all building consciousness. So people make presumptions about what animals are conscious of, what they understand, of uh, what they keep track of, concepts that they can, um, you know, get their heads around. And we don't do it very scientifically most of the time. We just presume rather mm. than taking, you know, giving everybody the benefit of the doubt and using richer feedback systems, more information, having more options for interaction and communication. So as a person who's a career trainer and now, you know, working in that field, I'm so glad that you're there. And I hope that other people that see your dogs loving what they do and doing it with confidence and so on, find their way to you. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate, um, I appreciate our mutual friend, Debbie from years ago that, yeah. that has allowed this to, to kind of, kind of come full circle here. Yeah. That's, it's a lot of fun. Now, um, for people to contact you, how how would they contact you? Well, um, my email is very easy. It's Mira at MiraJones.com. I'm also listed in the AKC judges directory. It's got my phone number and even got my address. So uh, <laughs> if yeah. anyone is, is absolutely free to uh, give me a shout with any questions. Yes, but please call, please call before stopping by. Yes, call before stopping by. The dogs will announce you, I'm sure. <laughs> um, I, I, I do do some seminars here and there, and um, we'll, we'll take on a, a private client or two if the circumstances are, are right and all the stars align. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that's good. So. Thank you for having me, Casey. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure. And I look forward to next time. Yeah, you know, I, I just love 
talking training with other professionals. And I always learn so much. And I love the, you know, convergent evolution. And I love when we, you know, land on something new to explore. So lots of fun. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you next time. Remember to like and subscribe and share with your friends, please. Hey, fans. Are you enjoying training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Covert on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Cover. Also give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.